Hey, everybody. <coughs> Jesus, not off to a very auspicious beginning. Um, hi there. This is the Promotional More Practice live chat, and I'm your host, Luke Thomas. I'm the senior editor over at MMAfighting.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, 29th of Wednesday, 2016. I am happy that you are here. Um, you know, no big MMA event this weekend. Thank the Lord, Jeebus. Uh, but still planning to get to John Bones Jones having some issues with John McCarthy. Uh, Daniel Cormier doesn't particularly care for that. We're just off the weekend where there was a Dynamite 2 event, which had some interesting results, uh, both positive and negative. Um, let's see, what else? Um, and, and sundry other issues. Fight week is next week. I got the uh, calendar or schedule of events for next week in Las Vegas. It's going to be crazy from Tuesday to Saturday. It's going to be bananas. Um, so that should be a lot of uh, fun and challenge and a whole lot more. Um, but anything you want to get to, we can get to that as well. So best place to do that, of course, is going to be in the comments section of MMAfighting.com where this post is embedded. Sorry about the dent in the in the thing. I'm actually working on fixing it. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. Um, but for now, you have to live with the dent. We should name the dent. I don't know what you would name it. Denty the dent? Something like that? In any event, uh, nothing I can do about it. No soda today because you know I'm trying to cut back. Here we go with my Buffalo Wild Wings. Classing it up. Got some water, though. Just plain old H2O. Mmm. Delicioso. All right. Without further ado, let's get this going. And I cannot see over my microphone. Let's see here. All right. Well, as you know, comments that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. All right. Uh, first question. It's an interesting one, I suppose. What's next for Faber? Uriah Faber. Faber said after his last fight that he wanted to move up to featherweight and do some super fights. Since BJ Penn got a light suspension, he'll be able to fight pretty soon. Would you like to see this clash between arguably the two biggest of all time lighter weight fighters? Or do you have any suggestion? Maybe an Aldo rematch if he would lose against Edgar? Depends how he loses to Edgar. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of felt like... Um, as a general rule, if you've watched this live chat before, I've said this before, but I'm going to continue saying this. Everyone is like, uh, oh, you can't tell another man when he can retire. You're right, I can't. <laughs> I, I've never understood what that argument was supposed to mean. You can't tell another man when to retire. Yeah, you're right. Like, I can't make a court order about it. Uh, I'm not a policeman or his mother. I can't make him do anything he doesn't want to do, but I can voice my opinion about whether or not um, this person continuing to fight interests me, whether or not I feel that's a particularly safe thing for them to do. Um, I don't understand what the problem is with saying that. I've never understood that. You can you can criticize them for any number of things. You can praise them for any number of things. But when it comes to making perhaps one of the more critical uh, decisions of their career, especially when fighters, as we know, are prone to not necessarily make that properly. They don't flip that switch as often as they're supposed to. Now we're supposed to lay back and be complicit in this. This has never, ever made sense to me. I don't understand that at all. Um, so he can, and, and any future fighter is more than welcome. And I suspect very likely to ignore what I have to say regarding this, but nevertheless, uh, anyone who ever tells you like, well, you can't tell another man to retire. You're, you're an unthinking boob. I don't know what that is supposed to ever mean. That's just nonsense that people repeat to each other to look like they're being deferential to someone's, you know, sanctity or something. It's got nothing to do with that. Yeah, I, I would, I'd be happy to see him retire at this point. Um, 
He has largely kept his health intact. I don't know who he could really beat at this point in any kind of competitive way. That's at the upper tier of the division. Now, look, if he wants to stay in and collect a few more paychecks, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, depending on who he fights. And as you noted, he can go uh, around a few weight classes. Obviously, he's a bantamweight now. We know he's a decorated or was a decorated featherweight. So that's possible as well. So, I mean, I guess we'll see how things go. But um, does it interest me in any kind of sort of like really unique way? No, I think he's done enough in his career. I think he's been a very um, a, a great asset for the sport. He's done himself well. He was a longtime champion and was a big key promotional figure for both the WEC and the UFC. I mean, he came up short in a lot of big moments, but he came up big in a lot of big moments too, you know? So there was a lot of consistency to his career, believe it or not. And uh, I have a lot of praise and high, good things to say about him. But if you're asking me, like, you know, at age, what is he, 37 now? Do I really think he should keep competing? No, I think he should call it a day. And I don't understand why that's – you can disagree. You can say, no, he should keep going. Okay, cool. Like, I don't understand why we can't have a diversity of opinions about this. You can't tell another man when he can retire. <laughs> right. What does that have to do with me voicing an opinion about it? You gotta go retire right now, Uriah Faber. All right, the dying breed. And my beer is out of control. I recognize this. The dying breed. Luke, history has proven that the most successful fighters in modern MMA are usually the ones who have multiple facets to their game. But there's still a small number of elite fighters who find a great deal of success by specializing in a singular area. Specialists such as Wonder Boy, that's not a singular area. Lawler, not a singular area. McGregor, semi-singular area. Jacare, not a singular area. Maya, uh, semi-singular area. Habib, definitely not a singular area. Have all beaten many well-rounded fighters by forcing them to fight on their own terms using one skill set. That is not true. Fighters like them were much more common in their previous years, but in 2016, they seem to be a dying breed with limitations to their game. Question, how much longer can one-dimensional fighters remain dominant, and will they soon become obsolete in the ever-evolving sport of MMA? Well, basically, none of the examples you list are one-dimensional. At a minimum, they're two, and in many cases, all three or four, depending on how you want to um, categorize the game. So the very question you're asking is simply not true. Let's go through these, shall we? Wonder Boy. Is he a specialist? Well, he certainly has a style of karate and the sort of point karate, the movement, the in and out, the, um, the different kinds of weapons he employs, the sidekick as opposed to the jab and everything else that a lot of other people don't have. But as we saw, he's got great takedown defense. He can scramble in the wrestling department. He probably has more jiu-jitsu than you realize. You may not see that part of it, but that's at least two parts of the game. He is defending the takedown. He is managing distance. He has altered some of his striking game uh, to match MMA, uh, altered some of his tactics to match the space in which he competes, but that's more than one style. Um, he is not walking in there and strictly using karate. He's using a lot more than that to get it done. Then you have Lawler. Lawler, who has lights out, shut down, takedown defense. That's why these tend to be striking matches. That's two dimensions of the game. McGregor admittedly uses a lot more striking than just about anything else, but has shown some takedown defense, has shown resiliency in the grappling department, not nearly as much as he has in the striking. Obviously, the striking is his bread and butter, um, but even then has shown, again, some decent takedown defense, some decent guard work, some decent work on top um, to, to help him complete some of these fights. So that's like one and a half, but nevertheless, it's certainly not just one. Jacare, Jacare striking has come a tremendously long way. In fact, his last loss against Luke Rockhold largely took place, or in, many, in, many, in, in a huge portion of it took place on the feet. That he's electing to use more jujitsu than normal is one thing, but 
those takedowns are not jujitsu. Those takedowns are wrestling. So that's at least two, if not three, for Jacare. Maya. Now, this is the interesting one. Here's the truth about Maya. Maya is using, using predominantly one. Um, one and some change, one and a hook. But the truth of the him, him is sometimes he's using wrestling takedowns to get to the floor. Sometimes he's using a style of jiu-jitsu that no one has seen before. He's using like these weird, you saw it in the map round fight, where he's almost pulling mount to then create a scramble to then get up on top to create a sweep, right? And he's using takedowns that no one else uses, but he uses trips better than just about anyone. Again, some of those trips are jujitsu. You could maybe make the argument with Maya, but historically speaking, um, all of these things are adapted for MMA. Some of the stuff he's doing, I don't, I've, I've never ever seen a seminar or a coach teach some, some of the stuff he does ever, ever. Uh, I, don't, I can't imagine that this is all stuff he adapted that's personal. Um, so you can call it like one dimensionality, but he's not pulling it from a system. If this is really unique stuff that people haven't seen before, which is the whole part, you know, you're mixing in a variety of techniques and ideas and strategies across a broad spectrum of, of thought about how to compete in, in unarmed combat. And then Habib, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, first of all, he does strike a little bit. That's not a strong suit, but the wrestling and the ground stuff are two completely different worlds. And he has the largest array of takedowns of different styles of anyone in MMA I've ever seen in my life. He has judo throws. He has what, you know, would be considered to be collegiate wrestling takedowns. He's got a lot of freestyle throws. He has it all. He has it all. Then he has a lot of rides from turtle. He has guard passing. Um, he has different side control rides that he uses. He has, these are two fundamentally different skill sets. If you go to a jiu-jitsu school, the vast majority of the time, you're going to find that these people start on their knees or on their rear end. They don't do takedowns. The belief, whether you like it or not, is that uh, the takedown has an unnecessary uh, um, injury rate that people don't want to really risk, or there may not be enough space on the mats. A lot of these schools are very small, so you just slap hands and start where you are, or you can start with, a, you know, some schools do rules I've seen where um, you have one person who pulls guard automatically, and then you switch, you know, depending on the round goes, someone gets tapped and you switch, or I mean, the same person keeps pulling, right? But you just, you, you pull in space is the whole idea. Um, so you listed a bunch of guys. Maya might be the closest one, but even then, you have these skill sets where you have the takedowns he uses that are very unusual and these abbreviated, mutated forms of things they teach in jiu-jitsu. And even then, he's got enough striking knowledge to know how to measure himself from a distance standpoint in ways that a lot of other jiu-jitsu guys, like the Meow Brothers, can't do what he can do in MMA. You know, um, um, I don't know who you can name someone else. Probably even Bushesha can't do in terms of that precise measuring and the timing. That comes from years of competing in MMA. These are adapted, mutated things. So... I just sort of, I just sort of challenge the premise of the question. Uh, let's see, damage control, Luke. We've seen many times that when a fighter gets dropped by their opponent, they can get finished from the follow-up strikes after the knockdown. Many knockouts of this nature occur when the fighter was dropped immediately, pops right back up, only to get blasted by more shots. Rockhold versus Bisping two is a prime example of this, and one could make the argument that Rockhold could have recovered from the Bisping left hook had he stayed on the ground and tried to pull Bisping into his guard. Anderson Silva did this after getting dropped by Bisping, um, and he was able to recover while Bisping was in his guard. Question, what are the proper defensive countermeasures a fighter should employ after they've been dropped by their opponent? Typically, it's any kind of tie-up. Any kind of tie-up. If you're blasted, you got rocked, but you didn't quite fall over, you're doing the fish dance, it's getting some kind of tie-up in the clinch, usually from an over and under position. If it's on the ground, as you mentioned, it could be pulling guard. Sometimes guys will go for a reactive takedown to get on top. It's some kind of way to control body-to-body -to -body space. I mean, think about what Satoshi Ishii did to Rampage Jackson. 
not merely getting him some takedowns, although he did that too, but it was why couldn't Rampage, Rampage even complained about it after the fight. He couldn't unload because Ishii was right in front of him at all times. Yeah, there was some dirty boxing. There was a couple of the upper, uppercuts, and you could say, well, that's Rampage. He doesn't have the same you know, ability to you know, lay a punch on someone that he used to, and, I, and I'm not here to challenge that, but I am just saying if someone's right on top of you or, or right next to you, you can't really punch them very effectively. You might be able to do some other things very effectively, but it's very, very hard. And so if you get rocked and someone's natural inclination, the person who rocked you is to follow with more punches, some kind of tie-up together to get yourself together. Uh, and that could be a different circumstances, but that's going to vary on how badly you got rocked, your presence of mind. You know, Do you want to take down a guy who's got great Muay Thai and then an incredible guard? Probably not. You, know, you don't really want to fall into that guard when you're already hurt. Bad things can happen pretty quickly. A guy who gets you hurt and has a good guard... They'll make life very difficult for you and super quickly. That guard will climb up on your shoulders faster than you can um, do things to stop it very, very often. So so that kind of thing. Um, but the more there's distance and the more they have to time and measure and uh, you know exercise a variety of potentially very deadly weapons, that's when things go quite poorly. Someone says, Glory. Luke, did you catch Glory last weekend? How did you score the main event? I did not catch it. Okay, this was a good one. What was your reaction when you hear that CM Punk thinks he could make a title run? Well, in fairness to him, that's not exactly what he said. He was asked about, because uh, I wrote this up for the site because I watched the interview he did with Colin Coward. In some ways, I'm like sympathetic to what he said. And in other ways, I'm not like even, here's the truth. I'm not even mad at him. He seems like a nice guy. I mean, I know some people say he's prickly, but I have no reason to be mad at him. Uh, and I'm not mad at him. I really am not. I don't. He. He. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. To be quite honest, it's got nothing to do with him. And look, Tim Tebow's a wonderful guy. You see, he saves apparently somebody on a, on an airplane recently or something like that. He performs some life saving maneuvers. You know, Tim Tebow is. Uh, I'm sure a great guy to hang out with. Um, this is not a character evaluation in any kind of, uh, way. And in fact, what he said is almost what you would want him to say, which is. To an extent, anyway, because there's part of it that you wouldn't. But um, he was asked about, like, you know, what about these uh, pro wrestling fans who are bitter you got out of, of, of pro wrestling? And his argument was basically like, I always had an exit strategy. Always. I was never one of these guys who planned to do this for, you know, forever and ever until it was just too late. And, and he sort of said the same thing could be true for UFC, right? Like, people think I'm only going to be in there for two or three fights. What's wrong with doing two or three fights? It's a lot of money. And then you just get out and you go on. But he was trying to make the point that like, he's such a positive thinker that, you know, while he has, well, he doesn't want to overstay his welcome at the same time. He wants to believe in the power of success. He wants to believe in the power of motivating himself to, um, to do great things. And that includes he, he what he said was, Who's to say I couldn't get a title shot if I put three or four wins together, which might be literally true, although even then I, I seriously doubt it. But um, just seems from a rational observation standpoint, um, irrational. Now, even then, there's nothing wrong. Jesus. Even then, there's nothing wrong with being irrational. Lots of guys say irrational things and then will themselves to success part of this self-belief that fighters have that you know you or i can't really muster is because we let the rationality of doubt and doubt is often quite rational creep into the way in which we think and so therefore we'll say to ourselves 
uh, you know, I, that's not something I can really push myself to do. Part of athletic success is this irrational commitment to, to um, perseverance. Okay, so all those things, like, I don't really have, it's not really about him where my issue comes from. My issue is what comes from USC management signing him. But the thing that really bothered me about the Coward interview that uh, he had that I just couldn't stand, or actually it wasn't even the Coward interview, it was just things Coward was saying was, Coward was like, I can't, I can't imagine if you're a UFC fan why you wouldn't be welcoming him. You want UFC to be like the NFL. Well, you know, NFL's on Thursday. It's on, fr- well, it's on a Friday, but it's on, it can be on Saturday on occasion, uh, although very, you know, during the playoffs typically. It's, it's on Sundays. It's on Mondays. You get the idea. It's all over the place. It's on streaming devices now coming up with this deal with Twitter and Yahoo, and it's on NFL Network and Fox. You get the idea. It's everywhere, right? And because you want that if you're UFC and everyone was like, I made that point on Twitter that he had said that and everyone responded being like, well, that would be a big problem with oversaturation. And I'm like, that's, that's actually the thing I'm thinking about the least. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm not even the oversaturation aspect of this to me seems like the, almost the least relevant part of it, of what he said. Number one, CM Punk doesn't get you there. Like it just doesn't get you there. And number two, and this is though the point I made about the Mayweather McGregor stuff, which of course Coward has his own uh, ignoble history in. And essentially, I don't know that he made them up, but it certainly feels like he just made up stuff. Um, this is just more of the same thing where you talk about MMA in a way that is. Um, and you treat MMA in a way that it is some throwaway toy, right? And I made this point before. During that whole McGregor Mayweather stuff, we were all bringing up the contract. And there are some folks who came up and said, well, you know, what if McGregor had got a boxing license? He could, you know, claim the Ali Act. He would be in court so fast, none of that would ever happen. Or, you know, the chances are infinitesimally slim. And beyond that, assuming he doesn't even do that, it's just outright impossible for that fight to happen, basically. It'd have to happen in like Russia or something, and the consequences would be so grave that neither guy would really do it, right? From a legal standpoint, because there's a. And I read you on this very chat the thing, and yet everyone's going out there and saying, "Well, could it happen? Could it happen? Could it happen?" And I'm sitting there saying to myself, like, this conversation would never happen at an NFL Insider show on ESPN. No one would ever say, "Gee, RG three, you know, he got traded to." Uh, the Browns, but you know what? For this one week, when they come back to FedEx, they're going to change quarterbacks. Um, they're going to bench Cousins. They're going to re-sign uh, uh, Griffin for a day and send him on back to his way over to the Browns. Someone would be like, no, you can't do that. There's a contract. And it would kill the conversation like that because that's we can't talk about these sort of fantasy terms that have no adherence to reality whatsoever. And when you say things like, you know, why wouldn't you want CM Punk in there? It is such... It is such a dishonest thing to say, and it's a thing you'd say when you basically don't care about MMA in any capacity whatsoever. Because, look, we can all reasonably disagree about whether he should be there, whether he shouldn't be there, whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing. But what you can't say is that someone like me who says, well, wait a second, I have a problem with this. This gentleman seems to be perfectly nice. People like him. I certainly do not doubt his ability to have a box office draw. Uh, potential. However, what I would say is this is so far against the common standard of excellence that it is mind-numbing. The NFL is in part a major success because it is a merciless talent recruiter and eliminator. 
it is an extraordinarily refined re refined product. And I know I don't know if people in Europe who watch this live chat can appreciate this. Your chance of going to a Division One school from high school to get recruited is like one percent of one percent, and only the elite of those guys get recruited to play football. Now, occasionally a guy from D two or D three will make it. And, and, you know, there are, there's a couple of, there's not a couple, there's many famous examples, but the general rule is you need to go to a major big program to even have a shot at getting in. Uh, it is highly, highly specialized uh, per position, per the kind of athleticism that's required, the size, the tactical ability. It is incredibly difficult to get there. This is Tebow time all over again. Can you imagine someone out there today getting out there and be like, I don't know what the New York Jets fans' problems were. Why wouldn't they want Tebow out there again? Starting, not, not, not just playing, starting, right? Or you know, at least coming in in the third and fourth quarter or something. Taking turns, to, changing reps with Geno or a uh, you know, uh, series with Geno Smith. They would be, you would be laughed out of the building. No, no one would take you seriously from that moment on. To me, the conversation is no different. It is no different. There is a common standard of excellence that needs to be upheld. Everyone's like, what about Lesnar? Yeah, what about Lesnar? You mean a lifelong competitive athlete? You mean a guy who succeeded at the highest level of Division I wrestling? What are you talking about? This is a completely different scenario. This guy, Phil Brooks, CM Punk, is not an athlete. He has never been an athlete. He's no more an athlete than any other guy you know. And I've made this point before, and I'm going to make it again. Certainly, certainly I cannot make any claim about in a negative capacity about what he can draw at the box office, nor will I intend to. I get the logic of bringing him in. I especially get the greater logic of the poor 2014 that, you know, relatively speaking, that contributed to, to bringing him in. But you have to, like, the common standard of excellence matters in this sport. It doesn't matter if he wants to get into MMA. I would have no issue with that. If he was going over to Bellator... Who could possibly have a problem with this? Who could possibly have a problem with this? But you don't get to say this is where the best in the world fight and then the occasional celebrity who has no athletic background whatsoever. No competitive athletic background, because he doesn't. Professional wrestling does not and will not ever count. He has zero athletic background of any kind that matters anyway. Like, what? What? And you're out here saying UFC fans should be happy about this. No. No, I can see why they wouldn't be, Colin. I can see why they wouldn't be, because I definitely am not about, uh, thrilled about it. I don't think it's the end of the world. I'm not mad at a guy for taking an opportunity that came his way. Again, I bet he's pretty reasonable. In fact, he kind of reminds me of me a little bit in terms of how grumpy he can be sometimes, but not in like an overly bad way, just that's kind of who he is. I get it. This is not about him or, or, or you know life throwing you opportunities and following your dreams. I have no problem with that. What I have a major, major problem with is people out there who just basically don't take it seriously, who don't understand what makes the UFC special, about why some people watch UFC to begin with. This is an elite, extraordinary competition. It reminds me of people who think, I could beat Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson will beat you within an inch of your stupid, stupid life. Are you kidding me? This reminds me of that Onion article. Area man overestimates his fighting ability by 4,000%. People look at MMA, even the UFC, and they're like, eh, these guys train six months in the garage, and they get out there and they try. And then the more you get people who are involved in the sport, the less that attitude has uh, um, you know, been prevalent. This is certainly a, an idea that has gotten less appeal as time goes on. But like, I cannot stand the idea of being lectured to that like you should just like this because it's good for commerce. So what? 
So what? Commerce is just fine right now. We are not struggling to a point where this is some Hail Mary throw. There's, there's standards that matter here. They should be upheld. It, it, you, I just don't get it. Well, what about Lesnar? Yeah, what about Lesnar? He passed all those standards cleanly. Cleanly. You see Faraz Ahabi on his YouTube channel the other day? He thinks Lesnar's going to wash Mark Hunt. Now, I'm not sure I share that analysis, but that's the kind of athlete we're talking about here. This is a completely different scenario. So, you know, guys getting up there and they just basically have these, you know, dismissive attitudes about MMA. And you don't have to like MMA, man. I get it. I'm not begging you to talk about it on your show or anyone's show or even in your barbershop or, or your dinner table. I don't care if you like MMA or, or, or you do. Great if you do. If you don't, that's cool. I mean, we can all live our lives in the way in which we see fit. But, but to me, it's like, these prevalent norms of let's talk about MMA in these deeply unserious ways without respecting what it means to talk about this sport like we would any other sport because we just don't take it seriously. We just don't take it seriously and not even in a, like a super like eyebrow scratching, you know, the thinker statue kind of way. I mean like professional standards seriously. There's a certain way we talk about NASCAR. There's a certain way we talk about basketball and football and and baseball and whatever else. And again, we can argue about what that line is, but this is so clearly far away from that. It's just it's just so it's so bothersome. Why wouldn't fans want? Gee, I can't imagine. Can't imagine that I would want the best product in the world's standards to not be chucked out the window in favor of a of an ent of a guy who while i'm sure seems uh, uh he's a great american or whatever though you want to call him all the great things in the world i got it's not what but just per person x right who has <laughs> not one amateur fight didn't play uh any sport in any kind of competitive way that matters uh and is not really an athlete by any stretch of the like any 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 way that like is, is in keeping with any kind of professional standard and i'm and i'm supposed to like not have an objection to this because he'll bring eyeballs we got eyeballs man what i what I, what matters to me is doing the small stuff to make sure that that common standard of excellence is preserved you want to fight an mma go fight an mma the, look what dave batista did you know what he did he went and fought on a regional show because that's how you're supposed to do it all, you've never heard me say uh, a, a bad thing about his MMA endeavors. Did he look all that great fighting? No, probably not. You're not supposed to. It's your first fight. It's going to be hard to look good. Not everyone's John Jones. But in terms of that, he did it the right way. He goes and he trains in the gi. He's a purple belt under Caesar Gracie. He gets out there and he does it the right way. And he and then he called it a day. I, I, I'll, there's nothing bad you could say about this. Same with Herschel Walker. You know, it's it, it, He's not out there pretending to be the best, and he's not in the best organization where that really matters. But... This guy's in the organization that is ostensibly, and I think without without any kind of uh, counter-argument, is not only the best now, the best that any MMA organization has ever been. This just seems so crazy to me. It's Tebow time times a thousand. And, you know, at least Tebow was the, like one of the greatest winning quarterbacks in college football Division One history. There's at least some reason <laughs> to send him to the NFL. This is like, this to me is completely madness. It is celebrity MMA and deserves to be talked about only as celebrity MMA. It has nothing to do with the real world 
of of elite mixed martial arts. It's not there, and and I will I will not I will not treat it as such, uh, because it's 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 just it's it's crazy. All right, Bellator 157 Dynamite 2. Look, what are your thoughts on the last Bellator card? How do you feel about the Kato Schilling, Chandler Pitbull, uh, Rampage Ishii? That was a weird card, was it not? It was a very weird card. Um, I am not really ready to rule out kickboxing as a thing that they can't do. Certainly, their backs are against the wall. The ratings have not been great for it. They weren't that great for Glory on Spike, although they were better than this. Now, also, Glory had a better roster, but you get the idea. Um, th th this has not been a more, you know a, an immediate upgrade. People are, have made the point that, like, look, this is a sport that has never really caught on in America, which is true. Um, you know, you've got this large property in Bellator that you've really you know you you own it and you're trying to make it grow, and um, that should be your focus, which I agree. Um, but it's also not clear to me that 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 as a certainly as a short-term play is going to be enough to really make headway. It is at least conceivable that they could do things in the kickboxing realm to expedite that. But the way in which they're currently uh, or, um, uh, executing on it, I just don't quite get. You put your best kickboxing fight after the Rampage fight, I don't understand that. It looked like to me that the, the crowd had uh, dissipated. Um, and you put on other f kickboxing fights on that Dynamite card that were not particularly all that great. Like, why is Joe Schilling fighting after prime time when J-Ho is not, is, you know, uh, fighting during prime time? That, I just don't, I, I don't get that at all. That that seems to me not the way to do that. Um, to have another kickboxing card after it seemed, albeit a small one, uh, totally wrong. But the other part about it, and I made this on the Monday Morning Analyst, was like, the only reason you would put kickboxing on that card is if it did something to the fight that um, really enhanced it in some kind of way. There was a clear value add. What is the clear value add of having kickboxing on in this like way of here comes another commercial and then comes the fight and then we go back to commercial and then there's this sort of the dramatic introductions and it, 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 it's trying to be fit in like it's seamless when in fact it, it feels like a detour every time. I don't know what the answer would be to have the two fights going on at the same time. That might be a benefit. The one being like, if you want to watch the kickboxing fight while it's going on in real time, to um, go to spike.com. You can watch that live and free right there. Maybe it's a case of trying to have a commentary duo do both team fights at the same time. Although that would be a kind of a weird distraction too. I don't know what the answer is, but some kind of tinkering with the format, or as I mentioned, the Monday Morning Analyst, like the second, and I mean the second, your MMA fight is over. Hand, you know, and the winner by unanimous decision, fighter X. Hand goes up. Boom. No post-fight interview. You cut right to the ring. The guys are already in there, and they get introduced right away. Right away. I'm talking within like five seconds or less. Just bang it out. Another one, another one, another one. Find an interesting way to sell the advertising time there. I, I, again, and you may say, I, I, maybe there's a television executive who's saying, well, that wouldn't work. Okay, and it might not, but the current one's certainly not working either. Um there's just not enough enthusiasm there. You, I, I even tweeted out the last um, ratings. Here are the ratings. Beltor Dynamite 2, Rampage, Jackson, Satoshi Ishii, main event delivered, uh, basically a million 40,000 viewers, peaking with 1.140,000. So 1.1 million, 1.14 million. 
the three-hour broadcast drew 675,000. It ain't peaking during those kickboxing times. It's not. It's not. And then you have uh, Shilling Kato drew 624,000, peaking with 642,000. The entire telecast delivered 439,000. Yuck. And these are plus three DVR numbers. I mean, the amount of people three days after the fact, you still watch it on their DVR. Um, you know, obviously the Rampage Satoshi Ishii numbers are fine, but you have an average of 439,000. That is basura. That is not good at all. Uh, because it doesn't make a lot of sense. You're going to have kickboxing on your dynamite card and then kickboxing after your dynamite card for what? <laughs> you ha- you just... This is what I don't understand about MMA promoters today, right? Like, we are, you would literally look at the other leagues and you've got baseball being like, what can we do to speed up the game? What rules can we adjust? Football fans being like, my God, this three and a half hour game, this four hour game is just too long. And here we are in MMA where we have six or seven or sometimes eight hour events. And promoters are like, what can we do to add more? How about you add less and in terms of the overall size and you add more in terms of the amount of quality, maybe that would do something for us. I don't, I don't, it's a shot in the dark, but I can tell you that this more is more bit is not working. Uh, Maya Condit. What are your thoughts on the Maya Condit matchup? Man, it's interesting that of all the fights I got Condit back out of semi retirement, whatever you want to call that, sabbatical, time off, something. It's Demi and Maya. Now, maybe the reason there is because if you beat Maya, you're probably right on top of a title shot again. In fact, maybe they told him that. You know, there's been discussion that if Wonder Boy is not getting a title shot, it would go to it would go to Maya, right? Like if something happened. Um, so maybe that's it. And if you're Maya, uh, you have to like this fight because Carlos Condit, Carlos Condit has a this is a tough fight for him, man. Demi and Maya is really good at uh um, trip takedowns, which have always given Carlos Condit's takedown defense has never been great, but he's particularly susceptible to trips, um, being sort of lanky as he is. And he's got really good jujitsu against guys, even good guys like St. Pierre. He's got an active guard, you know, um, he's constantly going for submissions or he's at least disrupting your base or trying to go for sweeps or he's just really active on the bottom. But he's just no match for Demi and Maya. He's no match. Like, I don't know that that's very controversial to say that. Now, on the feet, obviously, it's a different story. You know, Condit is, uh, would, would, would tear him to pieces the longer this fight stands. To me, whenever your best opportunity for a win is to keep distance and then try to blast someone as they come in, look, we've seen a lot of times where that works, but the vast majority of the time, it does not work. Um, so... I like it because it's two great guys, two great fighters with a lot of stakes. Uh, interested to see how it goes. Um, I do think Condit's got great submission defense. That's going to help him here too. But that's a tough fight for Carlos Condit, man. It's a very, very tough fight for Carlos Condit. Not saying he can't win, but he's got his work cut out for him. You know, definitely. Uh, okay. Which team will win the Euro Cup? Ain't going to be Spain. Um, probably Germany. Dana White recently called Ariel a scumbag on Twitter. Thoughts on this man, his words, not mine, this man maybe being president in the UC. I don't think much about his opinions. Uh, all right, true, false. Rory's loss at UFC Fight Night 89 was hurtful to Canadian MMA. Mm, I don't think so. False. 
Carlos Condit is probably the most difficult matchup for Wonder Boy right now. I wonder what Maya would do, you know? So I'll say false. Some of the top welterweights could currently beat Michael Bisping. Maybe. Maybe like someone like Robbie Lawler. Michael Chandler could beat up several top 10 lightweights on the UFC's roster. Sure, true. Will Brooks versus Ross Pearson will be a more competitive fight than people think. Definitely true. I definitely feel like um, Will Brooks is going to be the winner, but I think he's going to have to work for it. Definitely, definitely true. Uh, given the damage Rory has taken, it's very possible that a dangerous fight like Koreshkov could beat him. Dangerous fighter, excuse me, like Koreshkov could beat him. I wouldn't favor Rory to lose that one, but I, stranger things have happened. So I'll say true. There were probably many top lightweights who turned down the fight with Ferguson for the UFC to resort to Landon Venata. Yeah. <laughs> it's shocking to see Hisaki Kato knock out Schilling at the end of the bell with a spinning back fist. It is. Joe Schilling is a very, very talented kickboxer. I've... Uh, you know, interviewed him probably a dozen times at this point, and he's a great guy. And surprisingly, people know about him. A good, like a good family guy too. His parents could not be more down to earth people. They're great. If there's a knock on Schilling, it's that, um, like in that Simon Marcus fight at Last Man Standing, that was one of the times where you really saw Joe fight up to his potential. Joe has this problem, I feel like, where he often fights up to his potential and then down to his opposition. And I think he does that a lot because um, he wants to put these guys away quickly or he feels like he's way better than them, and he is. I mean, he was in command of that fight, you know, before that happened. Uh, and he just doesn't fight the way he he could. Um, you know, I would favor him to beat Kato if they fought again. I really would, like, well, in kickboxing anyway. Um, but... Um, he just lets, uh, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't have, like when he's, when he knows he's way better than a guy, he just doesn't fight as, you know, in, in, in the disciplined kind of way that he's supposed to, and it, he pays for it. It's absurd that Matt Mitrione will be fighting in three weeks, even after getting dropped in that last fight. Yeah. With a bomb of a right hand. I mean, I suppose if he clears the medicals, then what can we say? But, um, <laughs> literally Jimmy Smith was like, uh, how did you recover from getting dropped? He's like, did I get dropped? I don't even know if I got dropped. What happened there? He's like, yeah, you got dropped. He's like, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, and they were like, what did you? What were you thinking on top? You know, when you blast him with the right hand, was that strategy? And he's like, I don't, even, I don't really, I don't really know. I don't really know. Okay, well, here's your next fight in a, in less than a month. I was like, oh no, Bellator, don't do that. Like, so not a good look. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking with that one. Uh, the judge who scored the fight 30-27 for Rampage should be lobotomized. I think they already are. The Pitbull brothers' mustaches make them look more like the Mario. <laughs> make them look more like the Mario brothers. That is funny. Uh, I'll say true. That's very, very funny. Uh, another question about CM Punk. I've already talked enough about that. MMA judging. Luke, maybe this is an old question, but watching that Fedor Maldonado fight, I started to think about judging, not in Russia. So I have a few questions. Number one. Where in the arena do they stay? So the way this works is, um, as an aside, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Because you can see this at a UFC event, but the UFC doesn't come to your town very often, right? Let me encourage you to please go support local MMA. 
support local MMA, see who the fighters are in your area, see who the gyms are in their area, see what their strengths and their weaknesses are and what weight classes they keep, you know, produce guys in or they don't or women or girls or, or whatever that they're doing. And the reason why is one, you can do that, but two, you'll get a much closer seat to the cage and you'll be able to see how this stuff works. So where do they sit? They sit at opposite sides of the cage, almost like if the cage is a circle, they'll sit at like the triangle portion of it. Um, so they have each three have a different vantage point, uh, right. And they're right on top of the cage. So I, I would imagine if they had stories to tell, and I'm sure that they do, they, they don't because there's no transparency about what they do. Uh, they could probably have a, many stories about blood being slattered on their clothing or their, uh, or their, uh, papers or whatever the case may be. They're often, um, sometimes in States they have monitors. They're often elevated higher than the rest of the, um, people sitting around the cage, be it cornermen or photographers or. Um, you know, television crew. Do they have access with people in the audience, promoters, media members, and fighter staff? They typically, I don't know what kind of access they do have, but you never see them interact with anyone other than commission officials. Uh, do they watch the fights together? I mean, they're watching the fight at the same time, but they don't, not that I'm aware of, what, um, sit, they don't sit together. So are they allowed to talk to each other without each other, without what's going on? They can't. They're on opposite ends of the cage. Uh, in televised fights, are they allowed to watch and hear the broadcast? No. Do they have to write the score after each round, or do they write all the fight score at the end of the bout? They turn in their scorecards after each round. Um, I've seen them sometimes. Commission reps will go and pick it up from them. I've seen them go and chase commission reps down and hand it to them, but it's collected. Now, they can take notes. Again, in some states, they'll have a, a video monitor. Um, that's rare, but it is at least a, a thing you have to consider. Um, and I've seen them take notes before, you know, but, uh, and I believe they have some paperwork related to blue and red corner and who they might be. Um, I'm not sure if it says what their records are, uh, or anything like that. And then they have a, you know, I think information about their weight classic, real basic stuff, uh, maybe even less than tail of the tape, but they are allowed to like take and write their own notes and then reflect on them. But their, their scores have to go in after each round. Judging's hard, man. Uh, true or false? Okay, here we go. Luke Thomas has a weird feeling that DC is going to beat John Bones Jones. I do not. John Bones Jones is Luke Thomas's favorite fighter to watch as a fan. Um, it's a toss-up between him and Habib. Dana White will never recognize that John Bones Jones is the is the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, Brendan Schaub is... <laughs> you guys give Brendan Schaub a hard time, man. Brendan Schaub is the worst MMA analyst you know. That is definitely not true. Brendan's a great guy. Daniel Cormier has a better chin than John Bones Jones. No, John Bo Old Jones has a pretty decent chin, man. I mean, Cormier is good too, but... Uh, Jones won't fight Rumble at MSG because AJ will lose to Teixeira. I don't think so. That's a crazy fight, right? Since GSP said he could make 155, Luke Thomas, that's me, as a fan, as a fan, would rather see GSP versus Dos Anjos if he gets past Alvarez than GSP versus Bisping. That's an interesting question. Um, well, in either case, the t title shot would be utterly lacking in merit. Um, but he would at least have some kind of size advantage there, right? Um so I could live with that one more than I could the Bisping one. 
especially since he was like, I could never fight at welterweight like he did at middleweight. So I guess so. This been title fight sells the most, do you think? GSP return fight, Hendo rematch, Rockhold trilogy, the spider again, Jacare Romero, other suggestions. Okay, so it's not going to be Romero. It's not going to be Jacare. It's definitely not going to be a rematch between he and Anderson Silva. It's not going to be the Rockhold trilogy. It's either, the, it's either the Hendo fight or the GSP fight, and between those two, although I think the Hendo fight would be a big success, hard to say that the return of GSP fighting at middleweight would not be big or bigger than that anyway. Chandler's first title defense. Luke, who would you rather see Michael Chandler face in his first title defense? Thompson or Bendo? Uh, ben Henderson. Do you think he'd be able to beat either of them? I definitely think he'd beat Josh Thompson. Ben Henderson, I don't know. That's a, that's, good. that's a real test of Michael Chandler, man. It's a real test. But if you're asking me which fight I would be like personally, um, I, you know, would be more fun to see. Um, I'd rather see him fight Ben Henderson, but I can see why that might give it to Thompson, especially because he has a San Jose connection and he was supposed to get the original Chandler fight before he got injured. He at least has some wins in Bellator, which uh, Ben Henderson does not. So, I mean, either would be great. Either would be great, but definitely the Ben Henderson fight um, to me is the, is the, that's the one of the bigger ones they can do, frankly, in that organization, right? Ask you if the UFC 200 card is one of the best cards ever. It certainly is one of the best cards ever. It is. If you go back and you look at Pride Body Blow, let's go back and look at Pride Body. That was a long time standard for the best card uh, ever. This was Pride 25. The attendance was only 20,000. Wow, it was in Yokohama. So this had Fedor versus Noguera when Fedor takes the title from him. Uh, this is Prime Rampage versus Randleman. God, that fight was amazing. Um, Nino Shembri versus Sakuraba when he beat unthinkable. Uh, Dan Henderson defeats Shungo Oyama, which was a tough fight, but it only lasted 325-328. This was Anderson Silva's brutal knockout of Carlos Newton. Uh, Otsuka versus uh, Kenichi Yamamoto was not that great. Uh, back when he was a big thing, Akira Shoji beating Alex Stiebling via split decision. Stiebling has a guy who had modeled himself as the Brazilian killer which had, you know, uh, certainly uh, rubbed some people the wrong way. And then you had Little Nog versus Nakamura, who won by armbar to the second round. So, like, I, you have to understand, this was, uh, God, that was 2003? I am old, man. I am so old. For, for many years, this was one of, considered one of the best cards ever in MMA. But now you can see. But look at this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Only eight fights. That's really all you need, gang. <laughs> you don't need much more than that. If you stack the card right, you don't really need much more than that. Let's have a seven-hour event. No, let's not. Let's have like a 70-minute event. How about that? Well, you guys have a lot of true falses today. Here, I'll, I'll go to one before that. Um, Luke and fellow MMA fans, since we're at about the halfway point, what is your pick for fight of the year? Dillashaw Cruz and Lawler Condit are standing out to me personally. Lawler Condit, for sure, would probably be my top choice. Hard to think of one that was better than that off the top of my head. Um, but that was a big one. You know what I realized? is like every time Luke Rockhold and Michael Bisping headline a card, and, and granted it's only been twice, but you'll recall on both times they've headlined, the, cards, like the card underneath rocked. So there's a part of me that wants them to fight a third time and see if we can't get some magic all the way down that card. Um, 
you know, the, the, the most fun I had watching a fight was definitely going to be McGregor versus Diaz because um, of that epic comeback or whatever you want to call that, tur- turn turn of fortune or something. Um, that definitely was the most fun. But yeah, probably Lawler Condit because I, I remember that fifth round, I was just like, I don't know how, I don't know how these two are still standing. This is, this is craziness. Mortals can't do this, you know. Mm, by the way, I saw. I finally watched um, on Amazon last night. I watched Batman versus Superman, or whatever it is, Superman versus Batman. I, I don't know. Uh, it is terrible. Not quite as terrible as critics made it out to be, but it's bad. I'm not going to tell you it's good. Um, but I watch those comic book movies because I'm sort of invested in it. And as a kid, I was a bit of a nerd, and I recall reading the original, um, the original comic book. You recall it had a bit of a hardback cover, slightly hardback. When Doomsday killed Batman, I remember that. Remember he like he smashes the Justice League, literally with one hand tied behind his back. Anyway, um, here's what I would say: Henry Cavill looks the part of Superman. He is a terrible actor. <laughs> like this Superman was a bit angrier than previous Superman iterations. Usually he's you know not merely the Man of Steel but the Man of Calm, and this one you saw a bit of an angrier side to him. But he's not a good actor, at least not for Superman. Like, there's, n- just, there's not really a lot of change between Superman and Clark Kent. Uh, as for Ben Affleck, I didn't think he did that bad of a job. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, like, stand on my feet and, you know, go into applause over it. I just, this was, I've never seen a Batman character, be it, um, you know, uh, George Clooney or Michael Keaton or um, who's the other guy from The Machinist? Um Whatever his uh, uh, is it Christian Bale, whatever it is. This Batman was the Ben Affleck Batman. Go back and watch this movie. How often in this uh, version did he not shave while mouth breathing? <laughs> the whole the whole movie. He's it's like, can you not breathe through your nostrils in that bat suit? Mr. Wayne, better start sucking air through your nostrils, bro. You need to go to your ear, nose, and throat doctor, get him to chip away at some of those blockages because you breathing through your mouth, not a good look for a billionaire, not a good look for a superhero. So I got a little sick of that. Uh, and the Doomsday tie-in on this one was absolutely terrible. I mean, what a waste of Doomsday. But uh, if you haven't seen it, you can get it on Amazon. It's worth seeing if you're like like me, like you just like keeping up with the comic books. But Henry Cavill sucks as Superman, and uh, the script is, is just dreadful. Uh, but uh, old Ben Affleck's not that bad. Just close your mouth. Like that, okay? All right, true-false random questions that I wrote at 2.45 a.m. last Friday. Number one, this is, I guess, a true-false. I don't know. We'll see how this goes. I'm not saying that I want this, but Anderson Silva versus Fedor Milianenko is the biggest matchup <laughs> for both fighters at this point and a doable fight. Oh, God. I definitely don't want it, but I guess you could say true. If Bisping beats GSP, we can argue that this run, Silva, Prime Rock, Hold GSP, would make him the second greatest middleweight ever and the greatest European MMA fighter ever. Definitely false, both on uh, greatest European ever. That might be true, but the other one would not be. Um, Tate versus Nunez is the less interesting fight in the UFC 200 main card, unfortunately. 
is the least interesting fight in that UFC 200 main card. Um, I don't think so. What is on that 200 main card? I would probably say is Gastelum versus Hendricks on that card? Main card? Let's see. Jesus, that main card is ridiculous. Cormier versus Jones. Lesnar versus Hunt. Tate versus Nunez. Or Nunes, whatever. Aldo versus Edgar. And then Velasquez versus Brown. God damn. That is a that is a heavy hitter of a card. I guess, depending on your perspective, um, Velasquez Brown has intrigue insofar as like what's the future of Kane Velasquez. So so maybe. But for me, I I'm still pretty interested in it. But opinions will vary. Andre Arlovsky's rebirth is very questionable if you argue that he has lost to Shab and Mir. No, there is something to be said for his turnaround because I poo-pooed it completely, and he did make some use of it. Now, how much of re a rebirth it was, I don't know. Um, maybe a rebirth is the wrong way to think of it. Maybe it's more of a semi-revitalization or retooling. Uh, you know, we, It sounds like you're playing the game of semantics, but the words kind of matter here in, in trying to frame exactly what happened. But there was... To use another RE word, there was a bit of a rebound that you do have to take. So I was there when he had that fourth loss in a row, and I and I wrote an article about this at the time. Um, I think it, it's gone now because it was on the the, the the very briefly existing MMA Nation uh, that was on SB Nation, and I swear to God, I had the best seat for this uh, almost macabre moment, certainly a painful one. He gets knocked out, and I was like, "Wow, that is the end of Andre Olovsky. I can't believe this," you know, because this is like the fourth loss in a row or something. And he, I remember him walking down the um, the fighter exit, and there were people trying to grab his hand or, like, you know, put their hand up to touch him. He was, I mean, he, he looked, he if he wasn't stumbling, he would have been a character in The Walking Dead. He had the deadest eyes I've ever seen, and not because he was, like, still concussed, but because I, it was, I'd never seen a moment more honest in MMA in my life. MMA is often so full of dishonesty, especially what people say, but... What he's what his eyes were saying at the time was I had never seen a fighter. I've seen fighters lose badly, man. And maybe, you know, maybe Ronda was worse backstage, but not in that immediate moment, you know. I'd never seen a fighter more defeated in my life. Never. I saw the look on his face and I thought for sure that was the end of him, at least as an elite fighter, you know. Um and I remember Greg Jackson walking behind him and he too looked kind of sad. He had this you know, that face he kind of makes sometime like that, but it was more than a typical one. It was like a, like he was really, it was bad. It was very, very bad. And I, I remember thinking to myself, Jesus, I mean, no poker face at all. Um, he looked depleted, humiliated, um, that all the competitive spirit out of him had just been like, like he just could not believe he had found himself there again. Uh, it was sad. It was, it was, it was hard to watch. And I remember it made it, it burn. I can still see his face, right? I, 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 it burned into my consciousness. Um, so that's why I was like, really, I could not believe that there was going to be any kind of rebound. And sure enough, here he is, you know, um, Frank Mir fights again. False. Nick Diaz fights at UFC 202 or 203. I'll say true, just for fun. Ilir Latifi gets a title shot before his buddy Gustafson. False. Did y'all see Ilir Latifi's deadlift? 
I think it was like 617, no belt. Uh, I thought it was double overhand. He has double overhand is harder than one hand under, one hand over, depending you can do either way. Um, so this is a sturdier grip, and if you grip your thumb, it's even tighter. Um, uh, he had no belt, no straps. I think he had chalk. Still, pretty good deadlift. Hips were a little high. Um, what else was wrong with that? Um, and I want to say a little high. I'm nitpicking. The only thing really bad about the lift was he had tennis shoes on. Remember, gang, when you deadlift, proper shoe attire is central to getting it done, not just for effectiveness, but for safety. When you do a deadlift, you're lifting at the midfoot, not the heel or the front. In fact, wearing tennis shoes to do a deadlift can impact your balance in a very negative way, both for your growth and for the safety of each individual lift. You either want to do it with barefoot socks or as flat a shoe as possible. The Vibrams, I prefer Chuck Taylors because they are flat. Um, there's no salvation on the ultimate for the ultimate fighter. Can we talk about this for a second? Do you know anyone who's talking about the ultimate fighter? I don't. I could not possibly tell you what is happening on the show right now. And I'm not even doing this to be disparaging of the fighters who are there doing it. God damn it. There's somehow a bug in my studio. Jesus. That's a first. Um, I'm not even trying to be disparaging of like the fighters who do it. Mother effer. <laughs> uh, it's just, I don't know anyone that's talking about it. I don't know anyone that's talking about it. I don't anybody that make, I never see Twitter chatter about it. Nothing. Uh, obviously it's doing enough that Fox sports one keeps it around, but you know, when they've got shows like speak for yourself, that are on five days a week that do typically less than a hundred thousand viewers, sometimes less than 50,000. Um, you know, beggars can't be choosers, I suppose, but Jesus, man, that franchise, like you're talking about, something that became central to the organization and frankly, the sports development to something that like, I don't see any, I don't know anyone that watches the show in real, in real life. I know a lot of UFC fans. I see UFC fans at the gym. They're like, Oh man, I'm excited about this weekend's fights. Like no doubt about it. I hear it all the time. I never hear anyone say uh, anything one way or the other about the ultimate fighter. There's no sell. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dustin Poirier fights for the belt in 2017. I'll say true. Fight Pass's new design kind of sucks. I would disagree. I like um, Fight Pass's new design. And I asked Eric Winter to come on my uh, radio show or to speak to him anyway to get a statement, not merely to talk about the new design because I think it's actually pretty good, but uh, because I was curious about the editing. <laughs> I was curious about the editing of the footage that's less than savory, either Brock talking about. Coors Light or Michael Bisping spinning on Jorge Rivera's corner or whatever. And uh, once you brought that into the equation, I did not get a response. So there you go. Uh, Messi's retirement. Luke, what do you make of Messi supposedly retiring from national competition? Are you okay with his decision or do you think it's cowardly like some people are making it? out to be also how do you feel his overall legacy will be impacted by the fact that he's 0-4 in the finals of the major tournaments of argentina yeah uh that's really bad you know to lose like oh, jesus christ this after thing this is bug i don't know what it is some kind of like beetle in my house my office is on the third floor of my room <laughs> third floor of my house uh 
Here, let's see if we can put this hat here. There. All right. Um, yeah. First of all, I have no love for Argentina whatsoever. Let's get that out of the way. Lots of great Argentinian people that I know. My wife is friends with many of them. Um, I'm curious to go travel there, but I don't feel sorry for them when they lose. Let me just be clear about that. That was a weird tournament for Messi, right? Because he became the all-time leading scorer for Argentina in the very same tournament where they failed to basically um, do what was tasked of them. And they lost in the same way. I remember watching last year's Copa America from, I was in Chile, right? And they got right down to, the, this was when Sanchez peeled his shirt off because he had the last, um, he had the last penalty kick. I, I suspect he will go back to playing. Uh, you, you saw Maradona coming out saying you should go back. Although in the same week that Maradona was saying he's not fit to be the captain. There's, there's old Maradona for you. If he's not, you know, punching strippers <laughs> he's, or having street fights, uh, he's out there giving advice on soccer. But uh, I suspect he'll return. But, you know, it's just it, I do feel kind of bad for him because it's like Ronaldo plays for a crap team. I guess they've been to the finals of the Euros once against Greece, right? But um, he plays for a garbage team. So, like, when they, when they eventually bow out, it's like, oh, well, the garbage team bowed out. You know, uh, he doesn't have to really worry about that. Me Oops, sorry, buddy. Messi doesn't have those concerns or those 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 leisure, those uh, ability to brush off the the criticism. Someone says he'll go down as the second best Argentinian footballer ever behind the one true Lord and Savior, Diego Maradona. I can't stand Diego Maradona. I can't stand him. And his whole hand of God thing makes me want to wrap a baseball bat around his dome. I, it drives me crazy. It's like your greatest moment is you cheating. Uh, John Jones and Big John. Any idea what Jones means when he says McCarthy's energy makes him concerned about the upcoming fight? This was so this was so bizarre. So he he does this scrum yesterday where he addresses these reporters' questions, and some he answers very forthrightly, some he does not. And I missed the scrum. Of course, I wasn't there, but then I caught our video of it, and then I saw the written transcript of what he said related to this question, and I read it. And then it was over, and I thought to myself, he didn't say anything. There's no argument there. Like, he doesn't lay out a case for why referee McCarthy should not do it or why he's really not even able to do it effectively. He just simply lists uh, he just lists uh, these sort of ambi ambigu ambiguous um, statements about who McCarthy is maybe what he's done and how he doesn't really agree with that. That's not an argument. That's not an argument at all. That's there's, there's no argument there. There's no case for why we should conclude McCarthy is, isn't up to the task. It's, it's, it's bizarre to put it mildly what he was doing. I don't understand it at all. Uh, so I can't really comment on it. In fact, I said as much on Twitter and his manager responded to me, well, you didn't hear an argument because he didn't make one essentially essentially confirming what I wrote, that he didn't make an argument. So then I, I replied to him saying, is he going to make one publicly available? Like, if you really have an issue with him and you really feel like he's unfit to do this job effectively, certainly I don't know that you have a responsibility to make that public, but it's hard to argue that's not at least somewhat in the public's interest. And he was like, uh, maybe. Thought they maybe won't make it public. I would like to see that made public. Um, I, I find McCarthy to be... Uh, probably MMA's best referee, but perhaps I am missing something. If this is really that much of a uh, serious issue, 
I'm making it in the, making making the case publicly that he is incapable of performing those duties. That seems like an important responsibility, doesn't it? Who's the bigger star, Conor McGregor or Brock Lesnar? Probably say McGregor at this point. But, you know. Luke, the craziest thing happened. It's going on two weeks without a UFC event, and I can't wait for the next one. It's almost like absence makes the heart grow fonder. And if I have time to miss the UFC before a big event, I'm more excited for said big event. What gives? Who would I pick in a freestyle wrestling match between Romero and DC? Uh, that ain't hard, Romero. Depending on the weight. What's more far-fetched, you attending a WrestleMania as a fan or CM Punk getting a title shot? CM Punk getting a title shot. is No, sorry, me attending WrestleMania as a fan. There's just no way. I wouldn't go if I was paid. Like, I took my wife uh, and in-laws. They are here from Columbia, and we, we went to uh, Guns N' Roses on Sunday. I talked about this on my radio show a lot uh, on Monday. Um, if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you should not miss it. If they're coming to your city, you should get tickets because if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, it's incredible, but I'm, I've always been much more like when they, when they were coming up, when I was coming up anyway, the big debate was always Guns N' Roses versus Metallica, and I was always much more of a Metallica guy. This is right around the Black Album, and then before, like Injustice for All and stuff, and I was always much, and I still am much more of a Metallica guy. Um, but you know, if you want to see the hits and you want to see, an, uh, I mean, they sold out FedEx Field. They sold it out. It was it was wild. Uh, but even then, like an hour and a half into their set, I was like, I was ready to go. <laughs> I was trying to like shotgun beers just to like numb the pain of like the 50th guitar solo that slash went on and they're good solos but if you're not a fan of something in that kind of way it can drain on you imagine loathing something there's just no way you know there's just no way Uh, verified Twitter. The question is really irrelevant but why is your MMA fighting account on Twitter not verified? I have no idea I have no idea. What the hell? There's another guy who looks like me named Luke Thomas on Twitter. <laughs> I follow Jesus. I love wife, raise kids, train leaders, make history, leave a legacy. You sound a lot more positive than me, sir. This is hilarious. Yeah, this dude's like all about his fam. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Uh, all right. What's we got here?
Diaz-McGregor press conference. What will you expect from the press conference that will occur next week? I expect it to look very similar to the original one. Maybe maybe McGregor dialed down a little bit, but maybe not, really. He's got a lot to prove. He's got his back against the wall, and I think he intends to probably react a little bit to that. So that should be a little, that should be crazy. That should be crazy. Uh, Diego Sanchez, the hilariously insane Instagram post in the ice bath was great. Do you think that kind of mindset carries him through fights? Also, how has he never been knocked out or submitted with all of the damage he takes every fight? We'll talk about a guy who's got recovery. That guy's incredible. Did you guys see this Instagram post? It's amazing. I put it on my Facebook page. Let me pull this joker up. It's awesome. Here we go. I'll turn it up so you guys can hear. He's sitting in a tremendous ice bath while he's doing that. He is the best kind of absolute insanity. He is the best kind of absolute insanity. How has he never been knocked out or submitted with all the damage he takes every fight? Yeah, he's just incredibly tough, man. Uh, it seems that the often misunderstood UFC jitters are becoming a factor over at Bellator with Benson, Mitriona, Rampage, all looking less than spectacular on their debuts and returns. So are Bellator jitters a thing? I don't know if their Bellator jitters are a thing, but I wonder if these guys are trained. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Benson was, but he was just overmatched. Okay. But in the case of, like, Mitrion, I'm not saying he didn't train, but I just wonder if those guys train the exact same way, you know? Hard to stay motivated when you think you're, like, way better than a guy. And he, he I was explaining on the Monday morning analyst, he, like, switches stances and brings his hands low. And it's fine because his hands were always low even when he was in an orthodox stance, but he was always moving. He just, like, stopped moving. It was weird, you know? Guys can make weird choices when they probably feel like they have a big advantage. I think it's more that than anything. And Rampage, I don't know. People seem to be over sort of Rampage's bit at this point, but we'll see. Luke, why don't you record the podcast from the office anymore? Because I don't go to the office anymore. I get more work done at home. I like the quietness of it. You know, you work in the office. I have great coworkers. Don't get me wrong. But I don't like donks knocking on my shoulder asking me things or making jokes. I don't like I don't like people. <laughs> it's the short way of saying that. I like I like Barbus. I like my other dog Lola. I got my cat, Moco. It's my, those are my coworkers. Which is sort of a sad commentary, but uh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't like. I get. I just like the peace and quiet of my home office better. Plus, I go to the I go to the New York office every Thursday. I go to SiriusXM three days a week. I see people mostly. Uh, true or false? Same day weigh-ins are a dangerous and stupid idea for athletic commissions to contemplate uh, to enact, much less contemplate. Earlier weigh-ins, while safer for fighters, facilitates extreme weight cutting instead of deterring it. We don't know. Would a rear naked choke work on a bear? Jeez, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, potentially, if you... Like, the whole idea about the rear naked choke is that if you can, if you can cut off the blood to the brain, uh, it shuts off for a second. Uh, or at least their consciousness does. Uh, could you do that to a bear? 
I don't know if a person could do that to a bear. I don't think a bear could do that to a bear, but maybe like a gorilla to a bear. Could a gorilla, like if you could teach a gorilla to do sign language, you could definitely teach to do a rear naked choke. Um, that who's that who's that gorilla that was killed at the zoo because someone has the, the worst parents on earth? Um, uh, Hamabre or something, whatever his name was. He was four. You see, you see the size of that gorilla. That joker was four hundred pounds. They were like, whatever the strongest dude is, you know, can bench press. This this gorilla can bench press ten times that amount. I'm guessing his grip strength and his like ability to grab his own bicep. I bet I bet he could put a bear to sleep. Now maybe not a grizzly bear, or polar bear. Those are your two biggest bears, but maybe like a brown bear, black bear. Maybe they could do that. UFC filtered taking away from other podcasts. Will they push control their fighters to do this instead of the MMA hour fighter and the kid Rogan? I'm assuming they already do, right? Uh, oh, Jesus, this bug! He escaped. Uh, the whole thing just seems so North Korea. Yeah, everyone's like the real pro UFC on this podcast. Yeah. Any kind of content that UFC puts his name on of is going to be real tailored to make sure that they don't have uh, any kind of dissenting opinion of any real kind. That's just how it's going to be. That's how it's always been, um, which is, I mean, that's their right to do, but you as a consumer should make choices about whether that is or isn't something you want. Uh, it's not something I want, so I don't really pay attention to it. Um, but, you know, I like, well, I used to like Jim Norton, and Matt Sarah seems like an all right guy. Uh, I got nothing bad to say about him. If you like him, go watch him or listen to him or whatever you want to do. It doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings, but it's not a zero sum game, right? I mean, um, will they prevent guys from doing these other shows? I don't think any kind of real substantive way. It doesn't really serve their interest long term to do that. Um, and just because there's a new podcast doesn't mean it's going to take away from other ones. I don't, I don't really view it as there's, you know, the audience, uh, behavior in that way. There can be many, uh, podcasts at once. I mean, there's more podcasts than ever, and there's more big, bigger podcasts than ever. Um, so, Clearly, a, this is not a zero-sum operation. Uh, Kane versus Olex, 215. Let's go to the Twitter machine, shall we? Uh, was Cerrone added to UFC 202 as a possible easy replacement if Diaz and McGregor get hurt and have to pull out? Probably. Uh, Maya versus Condit could be so much better over five rounds. Don't like a losing contender over three rounds. I agree. Uh, I'm in the fight of my life against an in-studio fly or a beetle. I'm not sure what this thing is. Uh, Wonder Boy versus uh, Nikki Holtzkin in a kickboxing match. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Especially because it would be in a ring. I mean, he beat Raymond Daniels. I don't know. I don't know, but I'd pay, I'd pay good money to see it. There was also no lockout in regards to Latifi's deadlift. Yes, he didn't squeeze his glutes together to get that proper push on the hips. You gotta squeeze those squeeze those glutes, Alir. <laughs> what do you think about um, Emil Valhalla? That's his. It's not his name. It's the dude who beat Paul Harris. How will he do in the UFC? Eh, we'll see. If Rory resigns, who would you prefer he fight next? Uh, oh, he resigns with UFC. Um, I prefer he take a lot of time off and get a tune-up fight. So nobody with a name. What if he signs with Bellator? I'd also prefer he get a tune-up fight. So nobody with a name. 
Nickname for the dent. How about Harvey? There you go. A little Batman reference, huh? Or DC Comics, anyway. There's Harvey right there. Two-Face. DC is in the right. Jones should be in jail like any of us would be if we committed the same crimes. All right. <laughs> Archie Sheehan goes, Gorilla versus Bear at UFC 200. Make it happen. Just get rid of the undercard and put Gorilla versus Bear on there. I'm down. It depends on the kind of bear, and it depends on the kind of gorilla. But if there was a gorilla, like, what was his name? What was his name? Harambe? Is that his name? Yes, the death of Harambe. See the size of this gorilla? Oh, my God. If it was Harambe versus, like, your average, you know, adult black bear, Harambe would put the beat down. Um... If John Jones has valid reasons against John McCarthy as a referee, why doesn't he just say them instead of the lame energy talk? <laughs> I don't know. And everyone's got their theories. Oh, he doesn't want John because of its eye poke, or he doesn't want uh, Big John because of the eye pokes. He doesn't want him because of this and the other. And we're all free to speculate and theorize, but that's not the point. I can come. Up, I can come up with a theory. You can come up with a theory. If you're going to assert something to an athletic commission uh, that should be instituted as policy, I sort of believe that you need to make a case for that. And saying, well, you know, the, I don't like the energy. Like, this is such a nonsense basis of nothing. I'm not saying he doesn't have a basis. What I'm saying is the public pronouncements of that are, they just, you can't, you can't take them seriously because there's nothing to take seriously. Uh, realistically, how much does the loss of Kimbo Slice harm Bellator's business going forward? It's not good. They lost their biggest star, right? Oh, and by the way, uh, one of my in-laws is a doctor in Colombia, And um, he was here, and I asked him about that. Remember how they, they – essentially what Kimbo died of was uh, heart failure, right? But remember, I, I interviewed Mike Brown, and Mike Brown said – that Kimbo was coming to him complaining of having like hiccups like for days. And so I asked him about that and he was like, and then I explained to him all the things that were wrong with him that not, not least of which was that they had found a mass on Kimbo's liver. Um, now, again, this is the doctor saying, I, I don't know. I mean, I have to, I'd have to examine him personally to really say with any kind of definitive conclusion. But typically when you hear about someone complaining about those kinds of hiccups, it's because that mass on the liver is pushing into the diaphragm, causing those hiccups. And I was like, well, what could the mass in the liver be? He's like, well, technically, you know, we don't really know. It could be anything. But uh, how old was he? And I was like, he was like 42, 43. He's like, okay, look, again, without examining him, I can't say for sure. But typically speaking, in situations like that, it's almost always cancer. Now, if that is true and Kimbo had liver cancer, uh, the, the heart failure, I mean, that means he was in terrible shape. You know, I mean, that means he was, he was, his body was not doing well at all. You know, so I'm not here to tell you that doctor says Kimbo had liver cancer. I'm just saying that the doctor I spoke to doesn't thinks there's a high degree of probability without having personally examined him. Um, am I the only one that believes Lausanne versus Sanchez and Gomi versus Miller fights are amazing openers to 200? I seriously doubt you're the only ones. How do you balance not wanting to burn bridges but reporting on representing someone's negative aspects fairly? Well, the good news is someone like me doesn't really build bridges. So I have very few to burn. 
Uh, if GSP comes back, is he essentially allowed to handpick his first opponent? Sounds like that's what he's trying to do. Has there ever been a story in MMA you really wanted to write or cover, but sources weren't there or cooperative? This happens almost every time I try to write a good story. You cannot imagine the sea of stories that have never been written because no one wants to talk. There's like an omerta in MMA, an unofficial omerta, and it, it just it kills so many good stories. True or false, Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan will commentate UFC 300. 300, false. Assuming Aldo loses, what do you attribute to Nova Uniao's fall from grace? Bad matchups, age, a combo of both. Yeah. Um, it's impossible for a camp to have enduring success. Um, they come and they go. I mean, you guys, if you were around at the time when, 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 when the Militich guys were just battering everyone, you couldn't imagine that they would not even be in existence today. You know, um, do you, Raise your hand if you remember the time when Billy Rush was considered to be like the next great thing in terms of getting fighters ready for fights, like having them managing their sleep schedules and their diets. And now like Billy Rush is like obscure trivia, you know? Uh, how do you think Carlos Condit would do against wonder boy? I think he would probably get chewed up for the most part, but um, we'll see. Who are you picking in the Jones DC rematch? Jones. What's next for Gunny Nelson? Who would you think of the Nick Diaz versus Gunnar Nelson matchup? Uh, that'd be tremendous. It'd be tremendous. Be against such a thing, you know. Who wins? Sea level cane or pre diverticulitis Brock? <laughs> um sea level cane. extra Let's see all right let's go back to the uh chat if we can here rda versus alvarez this fight is about one week away and i feel like it gets no love this could be one of the best 155 title fights as of late rda is a killer who's fighting another complete mixed martial arts than eddie alvarez predictions um i like rda i have to say my producer on my radio show marissa she does not necessarily have the most scientific analysis of fights but she has been on a tremendous role she picked bisping to win she picked miocic to win um and i can go through a whole bunch of ones that she got correct all upsets and she thinks that uh, alvarez is going to win now i don't present this this is sort of like i don't mean to demean her but this is something a little bit like that octopus that keeps picking all the world cups correctly um but nevertheless can't argue with success right so just keep that in mind but i i, I tend to like rda i think he's probably got enough um, to win true or false tiki taka is dead i thought it was dead after the world cup the last one Could you have an update on shirts, or could we see a preview of any designs? Uh, I could show you a preview, but I'm not gonna. Not now, anyway. Barbus, hey Luke, I'm a huge fan. My six-year-old daughter loves Barbus. Can we get a few Barbus features in the future, or at least a few Barbus anecdotes? What do you feed him? What do I feed him? Feed him dog food. A few Barbus anecdotes. Uh, 
He likes to eat my earplugs. I have to sleep. I, I have trouble sleeping, so I have to sleep with earplugs in. I know that sounds crazy, but if you're like me and you can't sleep, you have to take drastic measures. Uh, and if I don't hide my earplugs, he will eat them. Um, let's see what else. Uh, God, this dog has been hilarious. When I first got him, he was a stray. I always adopt, I never buy. Um, when I got him and we took him home, he didn't know how to walk downstairs. So I don't know what that means about where he was prior to that. Although presumably it was a place with no stairs. Um, but he couldn't do it. He could not. We had to teach him how to walk down the stairs. Now, he's actually a pretty smart dog, but um, that was always a big issue. He's right here below me, actually, sleeping, which is what he's good at. Uh, Luke, has Scott Icarus Coker flown Bellator too close to the sun? Luke, how irresponsible is it for Bellator to book Matt Mitrione in just three weeks after getting stunned like he did on Friday? Now, again, they, they walked that back a little bit at the post-fight press conference, so we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> Given Bellator's recent history with Dada 5000, Kimbo being rebooked to fight abroad while his PD issues were unresolved at the time in Texas, Kimbo's death just a month before he was scheduled to fight due to the heart failure, coupled with the active lawsuit alleging Bellator forged medical documents, Although the guy they alleged they forged that four came out and was like, this is complete nonsense, but be that as it may. How risky is it to book Mitrion? Incredibly risky. Also, remember, he had an issue. Uh, he had a concussion problem on the Ultimate Fighter, if you'll recall. Also, does this tarnish the image of Coker, who up to now had always seemed like a pretty honest promoter type, such that they exist, but now seems to be wandering dangerously into Carnival Barker territory? I think that it um, speaks a lot to the fact of the choices that Coker was able to make in MMA at the time which he was running Strike Force, he has to make much more desperate choices in uh, 2016. It's not nearly as easy to get the kind of show required to do a big television production. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't absolve anyone from blame of any kind necessarily, but uh, it certainly provides a little bit of context about why someone who used to not do these things is now doing these things. Although they, you know, they've always booked mismatches. That's, that's been part and parcel of the Strike Force playbook. Um, the fact that Beltor is doing it is entirely unsurprising, but you get the idea. Um, no, I think all of these things are entirely uh, open to criticism. Now, what we also don't want to do is tread into this territory where we did it with Strike Force, where, gosh, Strike Force is just not the UFC. Let's just bash them. There, I, and I mentioned this before. There was always this irrational amount of Strike Force criticism that never made much sense, other than. Um, because they weren't the number one or they impeded fights from the guys in the strike force organization from competing in ufc there was this like animus that they were subject to and bellator sort of in a similar although less direct position but there's some of that as well well here's what i'm trying to tell you if you want to make a criticism about booking dada versus kimbo do it if you want to make one about booking mitrione three weeks after getting stunned on that fight did, did they actively add him to the card let's see um bellator 158 Yeah, I guess they did actively add him. Yeah, yeah, you should. You should say something about it. Um, and this should, in fact, um, this is a part of the larger portfolio of Coker's work uh, that matters. Um, I would never tell you otherwise. It definitely is 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 very problematic. Um, I would like to see what the medical protocol is for this one. Now, maybe you can pass a medical after getting rocked like that. I don't know. Um, but 
they should make some kind of effort to um, explain how, if he is licensed, how he got licensed for this one, other than he has an existing medical in most states, you can have it for three months and he's still within that, let's say three to six month window where it's still viable. That to me is not a response. You know, you need a, you need a medical uh, after this fight, um, especially if you get rocked that kind of way. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, part of these Bellator broadcasts, you're seeing it all the time. Spike is making it explicit. They're like fighters first. And I'm like, um, if you're really fighters first, then uh, you need to do more in terms of transparency for the medical uh, issues that have plagued some of your shows because you're being forced to book guys who are well past their prime or aren't really competitive athletes in that kind of way or get rocked and get pushed back on a card because you had a lot of cancellations from that second fight card, that 158. So yeah, bring it up. Let them know. Make it part of their identity. This this is all part and parcel of, of uh, doing the job correctly. All right, we have to go. Uh, appreciate everyone watching. Give it a thumbs up if you can. Uh, Barbus, who's down below, says what's up. For Harvey, for Barbus, um, I'm Luke. Luke Thomas Show starts in about an hour and a half. We're going to have Rafael Dos Anjos and a producer from OJ Made in America from ESPN's documentary on the show. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Spread it around. Love it. Appreciate it. And until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>